Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. Still in this marvelous, radiant Paschal season, the season of our Lord's resurrection. And there's so many rich, very rich, rich gospel stories, rich with imagery of water, all foreshadowing and implicating the church and her, and her sacramental life, baptism especially. I received a letter from a parishioner who lives in a nursing home. And I've been wanting for months to see this person, and they've been wanting me to come too, to give them the sacraments, especially of confession and Eucharist. But because of the COVID restrictions, which are very strict in most nursing homes, it's understandable. Nursing homes are very vulnerable. At the same time, this person has essentially been denied the sacraments. The COVID restrictions do not allow anyone to come to visit the people in the nursing home. When I got this letter, the letter said, Father Tom, please come and hear my confession and bring me the Eucharist because now we can have visitors. However, if you come, you must show proof that you were vaccinated. You must hear my confession sitting six feet away from me in a public area. You must put the Eucharist in a plastic cup, slide it across the table to me while remaining six feet apart. Well, let me tell you something. If there's any place that is the territory of the priest and the priesthood. It is in the sacraments. No person, no entity, no institution, no government can tell a priest how to dispense the sacraments, especially the sacraments of healing, confession, and Eucharist. Today in the Byzantine church and the Byzantine liturgical calendar is the Sunday of the healing of the paralytic. And healing is something that we see often in the resurrectional season in the gospel stories. Because the sacraments are, in fact, healing. Let me explain something to you about the mission of the church versus the mission of that which is not of the church in regard to the pandemic and why these gospel stories are so providential. I truly believe that God's finger is on this whole pandemic and everything that is going on in the world today. And by 
having his finger on it. I don't mean that he's causing a pandemic. I mean, he could, he's God, he can do whatever he wants. But I believe his finger is on it in the same way that Christ's resurrected body triumphed over death. God has his finger on everything, even that which is bad or dark, and he triumphs over it in his own way, oftentimes precisely through the darkness. In the mission of the church, there is something essential, something most essential that the church must be about, must put that above even earthly life, even being safe from the pandemic. Yes, of course, the church takes measures to try to keep people safe, but there is something the church has that no other entity on earth has, a concern, a mission for eternal life, eternal life, which, when that is pursued as the priority, is actually good for earthly life, good for our health. The world beyond the church, anything outside the church, flips that around. Their concern is simply earthly life. Don't get sick. Don't cause anyone to get sick and die. That's all that matters. There's nothing said about eternal life and how any aspect of eternal life, such as the church, prayer, sacraments, can positively influence our earthly life, our health. Focus on the earthly life does nothing for our heavenly life, for eternity. Whereas, in the church, focus on the eternal life is actually good for our earthly life. It's good for our health. In fact, when we approach the Eucharist, the prayer that we say in the Byzantine liturgy before we approach the Eucharist says that we ask God that if we receive this Eucharist, that it will be for the health of body and soul, the healing of body, body and soul. Yes, the sacraments are good for our health, prayer, worship, Church community is good for our health, and you can actually measure this in chemical measurements. It's scientific, but it even goes beyond science. And in fact, we see this in this story of the healing of the paralytic that we read as one of the Sundays after Christ's resurrection. And again, we look at the liturgical text. We'll look at the liturgical text and the scripture to see how faith in Christ, Christ's presence, his touch, his word, is good for our health and our salvation. The two cannot be separated. In fact, whenever the priest performs the seventh sacrament of the church, the anointing of the sick, sometimes more commonly understood as last rites, but it's not just last rites. It can be used at any time if somebody is sick in any way. In that sacrament, again, the prayers of the priest are all about the forgiveness of sins, of healing of soul and body. We are psychosomatic beings, body and soul, that is integrated. Separate entities, yes, but yet integrated, just as Jesus Christ was both God and man, which St. Thomas declared a few Sundays ago when he touched this very side of Jesus and his wounds. He touched his body. It was a visceral proof to Thomas. This indeed was definitely a human body, yet it was resurrected, spiritualized. And that's how Thomas believed, through the body. But the body was not separate from the spirit of Christ. And that is how it'll be for us in the end, in our ultimate destiny, in the eschaton. So body and soul go together. In the fifth chapter of John, the story that we read today in the Byzantine liturgical calendar during this Paschal season, it features a man who is sick, and he's been sick, basically he's been paralyzed for 38 years. 
Now, he's laying by a pool, and this pool had five porticos in it, and the water would stir it, be almost like something like a natural spring or natural hot spring or whatever. The scripture says, and this was basically how they expressed it at the time, that an angel would stir the water. It was probably largely symbolic. It was a statement about the curative value of that stirring water, probably something like a natural whirlpool or hot spring. In fact, if you go to Jerusalem, they actually have found this very place. They unearthed this pool that had five particles, and it is in the place that the scripture would have indicated at the sheep gate. So Jesus comes upon this man, and he asks this man, does he want to be well? And the sick man answers. Now, this is very significant. The sick man answers in much the way that we are thinking and acting today amidst this coronavirus, amidst any kind of sickness or malady in our time of our body or mind or soul. We act in a way that is very codependent. The man says to Jesus, he doesn't say, he doesn't answer him directly because Jesus says, do you want to be well? And the sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm on my way, someone else gets down and there before me. Okay, so he's already making an excuse. Now, think about it. He's been this way and comes to this pool for 38 years. And you think that at somehow, some way, he would have gone into the pool or near it. 38 years. But what does he do? He blames something outside of himself. This is called codependency, where you are dependent upon something and it does not allow you to realize your own potential. And Jesus recognizes this, and how does he respond? He responds immediately. In fact, in the prayers for this gospel story, we say in the Byzantine church that Jesus Christ, without delay, without delay, the compassionate Savior said to him, for your sake, I have become incarnate. For your sake, I was clothed in the flesh. And yet you say you have no one? Take up your pallet and walk. All is possible with you, O Lord. All is obedient to you and all submits to you. Remember us all and be merciful to us because you love all people, O most holy one. Now that is the liturgical expression. In the scripture, it specifically says, the sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I'm on my way, someone else gets down there before me. Jesus said to him, rise up, take up your mat and walk. Immediately the man became well, took up his mat and walked. What Jesus did here is something that we often need for our own healing. He motivated, he cut through the codependency that he saw right away, the excuse. Jesus had no time for that excuse, but he also was anxious to heal the man. So he's acting out of both sides, his more Maybe I'll call it the more harder fatherly side, the more disciplinary fatherly side, the more motivating fatherly side, or like a coach. Come on, let's get going. You can do it. And also his compassion. So for both reasons, he acted, as the scripture says, and as the liturgical verses say, he acted immediately without hesitation. And he tells the man to do this. Notice the sequence here. Rise. Okay, so get up. Take up your mat the very thing that was his excuse that he leaned on, what he was dependent upon, and walk. In other words, move beyond what was holding you down. Move beyond your codependency. It's interesting that 
Jesus Christ mentions those three things specifically this in that sequence. This is Bishop Christopher Coyne Rise from OLPH up, Radio in Burlington, Vermont, and you're Rise listening up to Light Jesus of Christ the East. Did. He rose from the dead in that body that was wounded and which had died. Then he says, take up your mat. Take it up. In other words, you dominate it. The mat was beneath this man all this time. Essentially, the the mat dominated him. Now Jesus tells him, you pick up that mat. You dominate that thing and walk. In other words, be whole. Do not let any of this detain you from walking. And of course, walking is one of the great, great physical activities of the human person. Walking means we are healthy, we are whole, we think, we can relieve depression. Walking is a very, very human exercise. We journey by walking, we think by walking. And this is how Jesus responded. We're going to talk more about healing through the presence of Jesus when we return. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. This is Bold Talk with Father Thomas Lloyd. A handy tool used by so many ideologues today is the kidnapping of very potent words whose real meanings are then diluted, stripped, and redefined. The finished product of this fanatic manipulation is a club which is then used to bully and force an agenda or ideology. The word accept is one such club of intimidation. You have to accept me or you don't accept me as I am. You're judging me. One young adult who practiced a lifestyle inconsistent with his Catholic heritage recently told me that he had to leave the Catholic Church because he flourishes where he is accepted. We have to be bold enough to start taking back words with potent meanings that have been commandeered today. We do this by asking questions like, so what does it mean to accept someone? Should we accept the perpetration and cover-up of clergy sex abuse because we are to accept someone as they are and not judge anyone? What about other forms of criminal, harmful, inconsiderate, or irresponsible behavior? Yes, we are supposed to accept every person as just that, a person. And as St. John Paul II reminded us, the only honest response to a person is love and responsibility. Precisely because we accept someone's personhood, is why we should not accept any other behaviors that would be harmful to them or to others, even if they themselves do not see that at the time. So it is with boldness that we should say, yes, I accept you as a person, but I do not accept nor will I affirm you in fictional and delusionary behaviors such as transgenderism or same-sex marriage. True compassion is a function of truth. True acceptance is a function of having the courage and discernment to love the person enough not to accept that which prevents them from becoming the best version of themselves. You're you're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Long, your host, Christ is Risen. And of course, your response is an exuberant, indeed, he is risen. Very good. We're in the midst of that marvelous, jubilant, radiant Paschal season. 
looking at healing, something that is so providential. As I mentioned before, God has his finger on this whole thing. It's like these gospel stories have lined up from the very beginning, the very beginning of the pandemic, especially in the lockdowns that happened last year, unfortunately, right during Holy Week and Pascha, Easter. I was amazed at how the gospel stories in the liturgical calendar lined up perfectly in terms of lessons that were relevant, absolutely relevant to what we were going through during the pandemic and the lockdowns. And here we are again, a lesson about real healing and how healing does come through the church, through the sacrament of life, because it makes present the divine physician, Jesus Christ. And why, as I mentioned it earlier, we cannot compromise these healing sacraments. I told you a story earlier about how a nursing home was requiring me as a priest to essentially compromise how I would distribute Holy Communion and confession to one of my own parishioners. That is not their domain, no one's domain. It is entirely the role under the authority of the priest and also, of course, the bishop. We have these restrictions because of this great fear, our lack of faith, like this man in the gospel. This codependency, this depending upon others. This man depended upon the effort, the wisdom of other human beings, just as we're doing in this pandemic. We've gone so far as to consider even gathering in churches and receiving the sacraments as non-essential. We're not hearing that quite as much now, a year later, but certainly we were hearing it at the beginning of all this pandemic lockdown. Non-essential. What we have in the church is most essential. It is the divine physician himself. It just says the man in the gospel looked towards human solutions and they didn't work. He could not rely on human persons to put him in the curative water. And if they put him in there, he probably would not have been cured. Maybe it would have felt a little bit better temporarily, like when we get like a little spin in a whirlpool or something, or a sauna, maybe relaxes us a bit, but it doesn't really cure us. It can help, but it doesn't cure us. It was Jesus Christ and his word, his encounter with this man that cured him. In the liturgical text, we say this, the paralytic was like an unburied dead man. Isn't that profound? Isn't that like you and me sometimes during this whole pandemic with all of our fear? I mean, let's face it. We're told to wear masks all the time, hunker down, hide, then wear a double mask and hide and lock down. Then we were told, oh, the vaccine, that'll cure it all. Everything would be wonderful. So we get the vaccine and what do they do? They tell us to still wear your mask and be careful because you could still get sick and make others sick. Then they start talking about a second wave or a third wave, a strain that maybe the vaccine won't guard against. It's just on and on and on. And we become like this paralytic, like an unburied dead person. We stop living. I believe, especially now during this resurrection season, that the one message that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, God in heaven, is speaking to us now, it would be one word, live, just live. Don't live in fear. Conversely, that was the one thing God spoke most against in all of the Bible, most against, of all things, fear. I gave you life. It's like the Lord is telling us, I gave you life. And you have one shot at it, one brief shot at life. And if you live a long time, if you live to be a hundred, what is that in light of history? It's nothing. It's a flash. It's a single split second in time. 
You've got one short time here, we all do, on this earth. One time to do it right, to live as God intended us to live. He gave us this beautiful creation. He gave us all the stars in the sky. No, not because there's life out there on other planets. We keep looking for that as if that's the answer. They're just there because God felt like it for us to gaze at and wonder about and again explore and to see his beauty and his glory, his uncontained beauty and glory. It's all there for us on this earth. And I think God wants us to live. As we say again in the liturgical prayers, Christ says to the man, for your sake I was clothed in the flesh, and yet you say you have no one. Take up your palate and walk. Christ, God, incarnated himself. He clothed us with his flesh after he created everything. So what do you think he wants us to do? After all that benevolence and effort, he wants us to enjoy it, to live. Yes, we have to have reasonable fear and be vigilant, but that's not the same as living in fear and putting fear above everything else and not believing in the effectiveness of the life-giving sacraments. So the paralytic was like an unburied dead man. And that's how we are. We're not living. We're so concerned about surviving. Don't get the virus because I might get it and die. You know, we really are not able to die unless we have really lived. I think about that famous line in the famous popular movie, Braveheart, where William Wallace was leading his Scottish people to freedom over the tyranny of the British at that time, centuries ago. He finally gets captured, but he had fallen in love with a princess from the British. And he's in the prison, and he's about to be executed, and the princess comes to him and begs him, stop, give up this quest, and you'll live. And he looks at her, and he says to her, every man dies, but not every man really lives. And he dies for his cause. But he lived, really lived, and inspired his people to freedom. This is what I believe Jesus Christ is saying to us, especially now through these gospel stories of the Paschal season. Live, believe in me. Notice he's always healing where there is a faith. That's why he first asked the paralytic, do you want to be healed? In other words, do you believe in me? Do you think I can do it? Of course, the paralytic just gave him a codependent excuse, but at least he had some desire to be healed. So Christ automatically answers. The paralytic was like an unburied dead man. And when he saw you, O Lord, he cried out, have mercy on me for my bed has become my grave. Have our masks, our lockdowns become our grave? Have we stopped living because we're so afraid to die? Are we looking at this world, this earth, this life as the only thing You know what's happened during this whole pandemic? You know what this pandemic really is? It was a great big cosmic spotlight that has shone from out in the universe upon the earth and exposed all of us, all of us, from nations to governments to organizations to families to marriages to individual people. We have all been exposed as to where we really stand, where our faith really is, how deeply we really do believe And what it has exposed is that so many of us really need the strengthen of our faith because it's really being challenged now. Can we live life courageously? Yes, being reasonably smart, reasonably cautious and considerate about any kind of disease, not just this pandemic. Can we be that and yet still live? 
because living is good for our health. We were made to live. Do you ever have something in your house, maybe like an old car in your garage, and you never used it, you just kind of kept it around for years, and you think, oh, well, it's going to be in such great condition. Then you went to go use it, and it doesn't work, or something blows out on it or falls apart. That's because things can actually age and die from disuse. That's right, from disuse. Cars are made to run. They're not made to sit, because they'll eventually, like anything else that sits long enough, it'll begin to rot and decay. So it is with us. If we don't live, if we just live in fear, we won't live at all. And how prepared will we be for eternity, for the next life? Another liturgical text. Your voice held more authority over the paralytic than his infirmity. He threw away the burden of his sickness and carried the weight of his bed, a testimony to your abundant compassion. Glory to you, O Lord. You see that? The wisdom of the liturgical text, the prayer? Your voice, Lord, held more authority over him than his infirmity. And that is what we need to allow for in our life right now, that the sacraments of the church, without being compromised in their actual correct form, dispensed as they should be, those things, the presence of God, prayer, worship, have more authority than our fears, than our infirmities, than the coronavirus. God is the God of all, even of the worst things. And he proved that, and so we should believe. He proved it and believed like Thomas by the very resurrection of his body and his appearances to us. And that resurrected body is in the life of the church, especially in its sacraments. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. Christ is risen. Hey, this is Doug Keck, EWTN President and Chief Operating Officer. This is Bishop Ferdinand Cherie, Auxiliary Bishop of New Orleans. This is Jerry Usher, co-host of Take Two with Jerry and Debbie. Thanks for listening to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!